From the pages of the Salt Lake Tribune, straight to your earphones, this is Tribune Sports Radio. Mike <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, all right. Welcome to episode 52, number 52, one year yes. of doing Tribune Sports Radio with my man Kevin Winter Morris and uh, Mr. Steve Loom. He's joining us on this uh, guest occasion. Thanks for, hap- uh, thanks for uh, walking across the hallway to, <laughs> to one of the many rooms in here. Uh, as we were uh, sort of starting off the podcast, we were just chatting about uh, Frank Layton and uh, basketball because, uh, Steve, you covered basketball forever, right? Um, yeah, it, it, it uh, was 16 years on the beat, if I counted them up right. So, long time. Oh, that's so. Whereas we're, uh, now, we could talk about basketball, but that's, you know, what, how many months out is that, Kevin? <laughs> basketball? Yeah. I, I, that's not what we're talking about. I, put, I did too to much research we're moving to in the talk. other subject. <laughs> Why don't you say, hey, how long have we been talking? How long does basketball Probably season? about as long as the Belmont will last on Saturday. Oh, that's, oh. there very, we go. Very Triple good. There you go. Yes. Talk. Yes. So. I put in hours of research getting ready to make it so that I will not sound like an idiot when Steve starts talking horses. Oh. Okay, well, let's start this off. I'm going to play a quick little game with guy, you guys. I mean, it's called Triple Crown Winner Okay, or not. I'm ready. So I I'm am gonna, ready. I'm going to throw out a horse. Yep. And you're going to tell me if it won the Triple Crown, and I'll give you some information if it did or did not. Bring okay. it. Here, let's start with Omaha. Yes. I'm going with Steve. You would be right. Uh, Omaha won in 1935. The jockey was Willie Sanders. Uh, Trainer Jim Fitzsimmons out of the Bel Air Stud, uh, which is out of Kentucky. Could, could not find video of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Fitzsimmons was one of the great early trainers uh, in horse racing. Um, uh, uh, just to have a kind of follow-up on that, uh, you, how many Triple Crown winners does he have? I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, probably three or four. Well, two would be the right answer. Two. He actually won in 1930 with Gallant Fox with Earl Sand on top of her. Uh, on top of him, um, Sea Biscuit. No, no, nope. he was not. A, he was not a Triple Crown winner. Did he? Uh, do you know anything about? Did he win any of the uh, three legs of the Triple Crown? I don't believe so. He was very not not highly thought of. Uh, 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 I know most of my Sea Biscuit stuff from the book, not the movie. Terrific book, by the way. If people want to want a horse racing book that kind of blends uh, the society and the economics and the history of the times, terrific book. Um, but Sea Biscuit was. Uh, he was a cheap horse early. They over they overran him. They the people in the barn, uh, people who owned him and trained him thought they had other be- better horses in their barn, and he, that's what that's what his story was. He came from nowhere to be a, to be one of the great horses of all time, with the with the the training job that was done and the and the patience that they showed with him. And the tag on to that too that the book Seabiscuit is probably. It, for me, as a guy who likes enjoys reading nonfiction, to me that was almost a, a watershed kind of book because how it melded, you know, this melded politics with sports and just kind of, you know, the yep. history of the Depression leading, you know, leading up to uh, kind of his rise to uh, fame and stuff like that. Yep. What was her, uh, the author's name was Laura Sh- uh, Schleisinger? Lauren. Lauren. I can't remember the author. That's, that's embarrassing because I've, I've read the book several times and, and she she did do a terrific Laura job. Laura Hillenbrand. Hillenbrand, yeah. Yep. 
A book should be taught in high school. It should be a part of the part of the required reading for an eleventh grader when they take U.S. history. I thought it, I thought I thought that was the interesting part. How these people came from various walks of life, uh, down and out during these uh, these tough economic years, and they all came to get. Obviously, the Howard, the guy that owned the horse, it wasn't down and out. He was rich, but the trainer came from nowhere. The jockey who rode him came from nowhere. The horse came from nowhere. It was a it was a feel good type story. And uh, and culminated with him wake, coming back from a from an injury where they normally put a horse, euthanize the horse, uh, especially back then, uh, to come back and win the the Santa Anita Handicap, which at the time was like the Breeders' Cup. It was the biggest race in the country. Okay, well, so moving on to our next horse, uh, Assault. No, I'd say yes. And I'd, quick story: I was at a yard sale with my <laughs> wife a couple years ago. Saw a, a, right. saw saw a sketch of Assault. And uh, and I bought it, and come to find out, Chris Wingert, the former Real Salt Lake player, his grandfather rode assault in those races. Huh. And I I always thought I should give Wingert that picture, just because it was kind of a family heirloom. But I didn't. I still <laughs> I still have it. And uh, now he plays in New York, so it doesn't count. Th- yeah. Right. Who cares? Yeah, assault uh, jockey was worn uh, Mer- uh, Mertens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, Santa's little helper. I'm going with no. No. No, he's not. He's the dog from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, never heard of him. <laughs> and the last one will be American Pharaoh. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say possibly. possibly. How about that for bailing out? I'm going to say no, he's not won the Triple Crown. Really? Oh, he, well, you, okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, trick right. question. I thought it was going to be a transition to Kevin. Uh, we're going to slide enough. into the debate on this. Well, I'm glad that you bring it up. See, because the Belmont mm-hmm. is an interesting race. If you look at uh, Affirmed and Secretariat, they were only one of five horses in the Belmont. However, there are eight horses right now slated for this year's Belmont. So... I don't know what that means, but I counted horses in the videos I watched of those two. Well, one thing one thing it says is, you know, the, he's people aren't necessarily afraid of American right. Pharaoh. They were afraid of Secretariat. They, <laughs> they you know, he had beaten a firm or a, a sham twice, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he looked like the superior horse. And if if he wasn't going to win, then Sham was going to win. Right. So why run your horse a mile and a half for third place money? So that that's an indication that people today, tomorrow or Saturday. They're, they're respectful of American Pharaoh, what he's done. He certainly has done nothing wrong. He looks good on paper. He had a terrific preakness in a, on, a, on a sloppy track. Uh, but, and I agree with him, but he's not, an, he's not a lock. He's not a sure thing. Yeah. You know, the thing I've always, because uh, when I was a kid, my dad uh, used to take us to the Belmont down in San Diego area. We would walk around. I'd pick up uh, racing tickets, you know, while he was making his bets and stuff like that. And, you know, it, we common theme that I like to talk about on this podcast is, you know, the writers that I enjoy reading and the sports that I enjoy tend to be a little more antiquated. I like baseball, I like boxing, and with horse racing, it definitely falls into that same sort of realm of almost a bygone era with it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it seems like with the recent Cripple Crowns, as you go through the Kentucky Derby, the uh, Preakness and the Belmont Stakes, is that they see in the media, I'm not accusing you two, of course, but I'm just saying the media has done a really good job of providing a lot of interest into a sport that on a day in day out doesn't have the same kind of uh, interest that you would find, say, just in off season basketball. Um, that's the storyline, you know, that the Triple Crown would would get some people interested in racing that hasn't hasn't been there before, um, 
and you know from that angle you can't argue it would be it would be good for horse racing to have a triple crown winner it's been good when horses win the first two legs for the buildup of the uh, of the belmont for the triple crown um that carries over into the breeders cup in the fall um it's a it's a it's a logical storyline and i and i agree with it i it would be good and from that aspect you're you're pulling for american pharaoh um what I would say is he's going to go off at three to five, and I see enough reason to doubt him that I wouldn't bet him. He, he's he's he, he could win. He's done nothing wrong, but there are some signs that maybe he's not worth three to five, if you know what I mean. So with, when, you, when you say like he's not worth it, is it because he's not being uh, jockeyed by the right guy, or is, it, is there something in the horse? Like, do they have bad races? Do they have mental breakdowns? Do they have good race, bad race? Like. How contingent? How do you basically? How do you handicap a horse? Well, as far as the Preakness goes, it's 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 a non-handicappable race. They had the big storm before it. Uh-huh. The racetrack was soup. Um, American Pharaoh was the only one of the real good horses in there that handled the off track horses. Horses are like people. I, I suppose they they have different abilities, and some. Some can run their normal race on mud. It, they don't improve on the mud. That's the misnomer. They don't improve on an off track, but they can His run their was a right. <laughs> I got a horse right here. His name is Paul Revere. Um, they, 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 but they can run their normal race, and others who can't, they fall back, and that leaves the one out there outstanding. That's what it looks like. If if it's an off track, American Pharaoh becomes even even more solid. I think. Uh, although there are a couple of horses in there that that haven't run on mud that have the breeding to run on mud so it would it would be interesting but um the preakness you draw a line i if i'm handicapping the race if someone said you have to bet a thousand dollars on the on the belmont stakes yes yes i'm drawing a line through i'm drawing a line through the preakness because i he didn't beat any he he better he beat a horse at his one run one lifetime race by seven lengths and he was he didn't run exactly fast at the end um, the best horses in their Dortmund firing line, they, their races were awful. I, you blame it on the mud, and you throw those out. Um, I, just think, I just think it's a non-handicap. You go back to the Derby, American Pharaoh ran a good race. He was a, a little wide, to his credit. He, he made it around you know, wide, but his final half-mile time was you know, bad. It was not the final half-mile time, of a, to me, that looks like a horse that wants to run another quarter of a mile farther so that's why i'm saying i go back to the derby and i see some of these a couple of these horses that chased him in the derby um frosted um M- M- Tahij, the, the horse from the horse from that won the uea wait for you to pronounce uea derby materiality you see those horses that chased him in the derby you know maybe they move up on a on a a, a sandy type racetrack at, at a longer distance maybe they come running at the end especially if there's a quick pace which i think that's why materiality's in there and will have an important factor he's going to push american pharaoh early i think because he's trained by the same trainer as the trainer frosted mm-hmm. todd pletcher um so i think i think you can handicap the derby and you can make a case for some of the horses that are the other horses that are going to be running after him uh, late especially I was so at the end of the day. So let's just say American Pharaoh is able to pull this off, and he, you know, wins by a nose. And I mean, where does the debate come down with horse racing, like with the, the greatness of all the Triple Crown winners in the past? You know, or is it just one of these things? Much like uh, if you win a gold medal in X Y Z sport during the games, you're just that you're a champion for the rest of your life on this one. You know, uh, 
But uh, with your knowledge of uh, horse racing, like uh, what are some of the other previous Triple Crown winners? And I'll show you this to give you uh, show you the list on that. Like, what can you say about some of the previous winners, and maybe how Farrell would stack up against them? Got to see the Belmont because some of these horse, you know, Secretariat's Belmont is famous. I, uh, I, it was on a Saturday. We were, my sister was getting married the next day. We were on our way to her wedding rehearsal, yeah. and my folks were in the car honking the horn. I said, I'm watching the Belmont. And I watched the Belmont, and I walked out, and I told my dad, you should have watched the Belmont. Uh, and so Secretariat's famous. It, it, it'll probably never be duplicated. To answer your question, some of the horses are thought of in a little different light uh, because they do race, and, and maybe not as successfully. Maybe that's a, maybe that's an evidence that, that how hard it is. The Belmont is on horses mile and a half, probably the only time they ever run a mile and a half in their life. Um, but American Pharaoh becomes one of the great thoroughbreds. He's undefeated. Um, he becomes one of the great thoroughbreds if he wins this race. It's it's like an NBA championship ring. What separates Carl uh, Malone from Tim Duncan? Well, Duncan's everybody's going to say six rings. Yeah. Well, fair or not, that's what it is in horse racing too. It's if you win if you win championships, if you win classics, if you win Grade One races, mm-hmm. that that's what, especially certain Grade One races, especially the Derby and the and the Preakness and the Belmont. Then you're then you're in the history books and you're a great horse. Steve, you mentioned that that Belmont by Secretary, which was, I mean, it's unbelievable that that horse just runs away. It's unbelievable. Had had Secretary done that in either the Preakness or the Derby, and then the Belmont was closer, do you think that there'd still be the mystique around Secretary that there is? No, I think I think that cemented the the greatest horse ever. Yeah. That's the one that people who don't even know horse racing watch it and go, wow. Right. And, right. and also, he beat Sham in the in the Derby, and the Preakness. And Sham was a great horse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, sometimes it's the horses you beat. It's uh, it's um, Ali Dar and Easy Goer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's that rivalry that helped that helped uh, create that mystique about those horses. So, um, uh, and I may have I may have that screwed up. But the bottom line is, who you beat matters. Yeah. And Secretary beat a great horse in Sham, and I think along with that performance in the Belmont, and it elevated him to the greatest horse of all time, which I think he is. What right. was your interest in horse racing? Kind of started, <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a, it's a rare bird to know. I had not yeah. knows as much about it as you. Well, know, like, uh, I, I don't know about that, but I we started going my, my, when my folks moved to Denver. We live five miles from five minutes from Cent- old Centennial Racetrack in Denver, and my dad liked to go and. And I like to go, and my mom would go with us, and and I just really enjoyed it. And I tell people this all the time, that it's the place where I got to know my mom and dad as adults, as a, as I was in high school, but on a on a more than a mom dad level, than in any place. And I've always treasured that. I immediately liked the action. I liked the lights. I liked the I liked everything about it. And uh, that's where it that's where it kind of took off from was going to the races a lot when I was a kid in Denver, just going down by the rail and watching. Yeah, it seems to, it, it's not just the sights and the sounds, it's the smell. You know, oh, it, it's the most earthy, yeah. earthy playing field that, you know, of any, uh, any of the sports out there. Yeah, and my, a friend of my dad had a horse in Denver many years ago. He was, he'd run a mile 70, and they'd put him out there on the lead and see if he could make it. And I remember watching Old Needle Joe was his name. Uh, and it was just thrilling to, to have a connect, know the owners of this horse and watch him. And, you know, sure, have back at the time, have $2 to win on him because that's all I had. Um, uh, 
but it just it, it it's like nothing it's hard to explain i can't imagine these people that own these horses that run for a million dollars it's amazing yeah, well, that's, that's i'm glad you said that because the next question i have is that you know we're talking about you know accessibility you know as a kid you know with uh, two dollars to, to win place or show on this one that's much different than you know the people who own these horses i mean there's stud fees after these races millions and millions of dollars you know and then all the revenues and profits that can maybe come from just a single winning the derby and stuff like that i mean is in the time that you've been watching it is the sport get more extravagant or is it become more niche than ever um extravagant it, it's gotten more expensive it's gotten the money is just unbelievable um that's why if american pharaoh wins the triple crown he they've already sold his breeding rights i don't i don't suspect we'll see him much much beyond maybe the breeders cup maybe they try to shoot for that one uh -huh. but his his value will be as a stallion and you don't want your your 150 million dollars they haven't announced the, the fee but whatever extravagant amount it is you don't you don't want him out there running and taking a chance on hurting himself is it just um, cheaper just to buy like an in and out franchise to <laughs> money? I mean, it's what, what what do you think motivates the owner of a thoroughbred like, oh, I, it, it, just step inside their brain for half a second, because I could, I could kind of hypothesize for a moment. I know people, you know, in Salt Lake, a friend of mine, Dan Valdez, he's, he's the, the sextant of the cemetery across from the University uh -huh. of Utah. He got into it by going to Wyoming Downs, watching the horses, talking to a few friends. In a year and a half ago, his horse, Chips All In, ran in the Breeders' Cup, Million Dollar Breeders' Cup Sprint Turf. And Dan just, he just, you fall in love with it. You fall in love with the, 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 the sports angle and then then you just don't want to be a two dollar better and you know the right people uh and you get involved more and dan's been involved ever ever since he's had some outstanding horses cover gal uh, uh chips all in uh there have been some others and there's other people around tell me the same thing it's just um I'll tell you a backup story real please, fast yeah, i went to new i when I, back in the late 80s i i owned only dabbling I ever did in it, I owned like 3% of three horses with some friends in New Mexico. Okay. And uh, one of them won her futurity trial and went into a, it was like a $75,000 race down there, which, you know, back then was a lot of money. That's still a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, she was, she broke second in the futurity came around the turn took the lead at the top of the stretch i looked at my friend pete and i said pete she's in because she never backed up in her life i mean the, 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 the trouble was getting her to the front guy took her to the front and then in the last 30 yards two horses that she'd beaten pretty convincingly in the trials came and got her by a nose and a head so she finished third and it was probably the most stimulating two minutes in my life watching that horse race so it's, it's the only way i can describe it. it it's like you're you're breathless at the at the end and we were disappointed of course but uh, it was just it was just a for lack of a better term it was a high yeah. and it was it was something that y you can't replicate i don't think i suppose it's like an nba player or fan or owner winning an nba championship or or a ring but it, you, you can't replicate it. It is. It is. It's also the most successful thing. Cause I remember years ago, about five years ago, watching the Derby, and uh, it was a bunch of kids sitting in the hotel room, where, much like you at a wedding, you know. And uh, you went to a rehearsal where we were actually going to a wedding, 
and we're all sitting around there watching it, and everyone's on their feet, everyone's screaming. Not a single one of us has a dollar on this race, and for some reason, it's just it's natural to look at the horses and just get you know between the pageantry, the great names. You know, is there another sport that offers mm-hmm. better names? I mean, just Sea Biscuit in and of itself is worth you know putting a banner on there, but. I don't know. I think it's the accessibility, which is always to me, which makes it peculiar. Is that how come we don't watch horse racing in October? Well, it's it's the big races. The big races. You know, the winter comes and the and the and the races. The big races. The the Breeders' Cup now kind of ends the big big horse racing, and that's at the end of October. So now you've got November, December, uh, January that everybody kind of takes a deep breath, and then then the Derby Trail starts again in February, March, and April. So it's probably kind of a kind of a needed respite for the sport to uh, to to take a little time off and step away from the big big races but that's what the breed that's the biggest thing a breeders cup has done it's it's it used to be the belmont's over okay people don't really pay much attention to racing anymore now it leads into those big races that big race day in october and it keeps it keeps it out there a little bit more you know oh, go ahead. Uh, okay steve so uh, th- this is the part that I've, I've always kind of been curious about all right so you know, you're talking about the, the horse that you own, the 3%. How do you get, let's say that that horse had one, all right, and all of a sudden the horse is now seen. By the, what was the horse's name? Our Latest Wages. Our Latest Wages. All right. So how how do you. Case in point. Yeah. How great do you, names. <laughs> just great names. How do you take, how does that horse become just any old horse and go to Bob Baffert training it or Todd Fletcher? I, I, What's that process? How does that work? If they're good, if they're good enough, if they like, if they're racing in New Mexico and they're good enough, yeah. then the, the trainers all know each other, you know, through mm-hmm. the years, and there's connections, and and they would send them, and the and the big time trainers would look at that horse and say, yeah, well, you know, we can make some money with that one. I'll 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 take care of her. I'll 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 run her here. I'll take care of her for mm-hmm. you in California. Um, the thing is, the you know the purse money goes up, the expenses go up. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know if the if the horse needs to be shooed, and I'm not these numbers probably are wrong now, but if the horse needs to be shooed and it's thirty dollars in New Mexico, it may be eighty dollars, and so um, that's that's the the risk you take at running horses from that that I, would have been my experience. Yeah. Um, we had another one. One one of the one of the little horses we bought was very good. And she and he was working out really well, mm-hmm. and really high hopes. And uh, this is the ups and downs of the racing. One minute you're you've got American Pharaoh, and the next minute American Pharaoh takes a misstep, and you yeah. and you've got a, you've you've got nothing. Yeah. And uh, I was getting ready to go to Albuquerque. I was in our office. I had stopped in the office to do a couple things on a Saturday morning. I was going to fly to Albuquerque in time for the race. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my friend called Pete. He said, "He said the horse died this morning." What? Oh and I word. said, <laughs> "You know, oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's pretty funny, you know, because we're there's talk that this horse is going to win these futurities in New Mexico, and yeah. what reminded me of it, and then go elsewhere because yeah. he was yeah. that good." And uh, Pete said, "No, they uh, they took her out this morning, jogged her around, jog- jogged him around the racetrack, walking back to the barn, and she dropped over." And no. And um, I said, well, what happened? They don't know. Um, the, uh, he said, you still coming down? I said, no. Um, the, my theory, 
and it's a horrible theory, and it casts aspersions on unnamed people that I don't even know. Yeah. I think this horse was doing so well, and I think this horse had potential to win these major futurities in New Mexico. Maybe the horse got tampered with. Somebody said, we don't want to compete against this horse, much like the storyline in Farlap, where, where they didn't want to... They didn't want to compete against the horse, yeah. so what do you do? And back then, you know, she, he, he was just a normal horse. You didn't have security on him. You didn't, you know, you had night watchmen in the stables right. and stuff. But I've always thought that, that something like that, because a two-year-old horse doesn't, I mean, he didn't even go fast, doesn't jog around the right. racetrack right. and drop over. Yeah. A- and I've always thought that, and it, and it did sour me on it for a little while. What because, was that horse's name? Uh, Boy, I can't. I can't even remember. That is an unbelievable story. And 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 it may have been completely natural. It may have been our bad luck. It may have been just one of those things. But I I throw it out there to to show you how how hard it is to the to 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 win win races and the and some of the factors involved and and some of the some of the things involved. You you've got to have good people in it and and the the bad people in it give racing the bad name and it's too bad because some of the best people I've ever met are in racing and then you hear stories about the jockey using the using the buzzer last winter in Texas right well, that's the next thing I wanted to kind of ask you about was with the jockeys is that obviously it's a it's a two person op- well it's a two mammal operation <laughs> you know but between the jockeys, uh, obviously knowing that you own a, you own a small percentage of the horses, you've had had some contact with jockeys. What, what's to, to be able to basically ride? It looks like a, what, what, first off, the stirrups on those look like nothing. <laughs> darn near looks like bareback riding. What kind of uh, people are jockeys? Who gets into that line of work? They're very good athletes because they they're riding around on a twelve hundred pound horse going forty miles an hour, and they're supposed to guide them through traffic. And they're very good athletes. Um, they are tough because they get thrown around a lot and kicked around a lot and and i say this with admiration some of these guys are 35 years old and they look 60 because they're out in the sun and the weather and they get thrown around and as far as as uh, how you how you get a jockey it's just like anything else you find people you trust you find people who are honest and hardworking and show up for work every day and um Go with them. Same way with trainers. Someone told me a long time ago, if you ever get involved in horse race, you've got to get involved with people that you trust because because there are some out there that, that will take advantage of the situation. How much uh, with these jockeys, uh, obviously, what do they, what do they weigh, 110 pounds, if not more, uh, less? Yeah. Uh, it's obviously, me and Kevin are out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm out, too. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, in the movie Seabiscuit, uh, which is, you know, more things and more of our listeners are probably going to be able to appreciate and stuff like that. You know, it's like the jockeys were hard-drinking, rough riders, yeah. tough guys, you know. I mean, uh, is that kind of – do you need to have that recklessness almost? I think you have to have a, a fearlessness. I think you have to have to, uh, to be a successful jockey, and the great jockeys are. They, they see a hole that's this wide. That they and their horse is full of run and they they can win the race and instead of pulling them all the way around and finishing third you go through the hole and i can't imagine anything more scary than horses in front of you yeah. running down the stretch and you're taking a a hole that's between them that's four or five feet wide and 
driving a racehorse through there. I think there. the horse to do it. Well, it's, that's the instinct of you a racehorse. Is you know, when Dale Jr. decides he's going to do it, he right. just puts the accelerator right. and aims in this direction. Right. How do you convince a right. horse? Right. So, that, exactly. Because, like you said, it's a two-mammal operation here. It isn't, <laughs> it isn't just, you know, a, a, a car, you know how it's going to react. And I guess you kind of get used to the horse, but there's still that element of yeah. you hope that the horse does what you think it's going to do. The great horses, the good horses, you'll hear jockeys all the time, he's a push-button horse. That's what they're talking about. That means when I want you to go, you go. And the jockeys communicate to the horse through their hands, Mm -hmm. and he's got a hold on him. And if he sees that hole and lets go, the good horses will say, okay, boom, now it's time to go. And they'll go and they'll, they'll compete. I, I say this, and people look at me like I'm strange, but, but good horses, they compete. They know when they win. They know when they lose, and, and they know when someone finishes in front of them. They know when nobody finishes in front of them, and, and they're, it's just like any great athlete, and I'm not comparing people to horses, but they have a competitiveness in them that makes them go when the jockey asks them to go. So, I mean, obviously, horses don't have Judeo-Christian backgrounds and stuff like that, <laughs> right and wrong. You know, but people do it with dogs all the time. But, like, my dog, when she does wrong, she knows she did wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like, she, she's well aware that, you know, you, you can't eat the other dog's food or do X, Y, Z. So, I mean, they talk about a horse's intelligence. I mean, how having not spent a lot of time around horses, I mean, are they that bright? I don't, I don't think they're particularly bright, but it's instinct. Yeah. It's, it's all... One of the most amazing sights I, I, I saw in all the time I've been around the racetrack is I was back in the barns and they play the, the call to post. Da, 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 da. Almost every horse comes to the out and sticks his head out. Even when it's not racing? They, they hear that music when yeah. they're not racing. They hear that noise and somehow they communicate that to, okay, it's time to run. Yeah. And you know, there are some that are lazy and are sleeping, and but but I'll bet you 80% of them that day, at least, came and stuck their head out of the barn, looked around, said, "Okay, let let's go. I'm I'm ready," and that's that. So it's not really an intelligence thing, but it's I think there's an instinct to it, and that's that's why they're here. That's why they're on Earth. They were bred to run, and that's what yeah. they want to do. So, Kev, you've uh, since you did a fair amount of research looking at triple crown <laughs> stuff. Give us a piece of trivia. Give us a little something something that uh, our listeners would like to listen to. Uh, sure. Uh, how the last Triple Crown winner, of course, was... No, don't look at the paper. Well, I know now. <laughs> Affirmed. Affirmed, right. <laughs> Affirmed. How big of a victory was it for Affirmed in the Belmont? Steve, hold on. Six Wait. lengths. Steve, about a nose. Right. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Which, which I thought was really good. I went through and watched the Triple Crown races of the last three Triple Crown winners. All three for the three, so nine races. Affirm, Seattle Slough, and Secretariat. And uh, Seattle Slough was one of eight in the Belmont, which is what American Pharaoh also faces. Uh, whereas, like I said earlier, Affirmed and, uh, and Secretariat were both one of five mm-hmm. in the Belmont. Uh, I, Steve, you, you're going to have to, one of, I, I think it was Seattle Slough ran in mud. In one of yes, them, right? I, I believe so because Seattle Slough is, was known as a horse could run on an off track, and he, one of his values as a stallion was passing that ability along. His his horses he always seemed to be able to run in on an off track. Yeah, they have like uh, his great great grand offspring. I think uh, son he was, and I'm trying to remember who this was. Uh, the, the, I remember reading about Seattle Slough. It was like uh, 14 million dollars in stud fees. 
which is a peculiar thing for me, you know, if I yeah. may. To talk about a sport with stud fees, we don't do this with any other sport <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, it would be highly inappropriate to talk yeah. about any other sport. But, I mean, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a huge component of this sport. Yeah. You know, this is definitely the backroom dealings that we're not, you know, the people going to the betting track or watching them on TV, you know. We were talking about books. Another great book is William Knack's book, the old sport, I don't mean old, the former Sports Illustrated writer, outstanding writer. And he wrote a book about Secretariat. And it starts with the night Secretariat was born. And it talks, a, a good part of that book talks about the, the, the deals that, that, you know, they put together to, you know, the great storyline of Secretariat is how he came along at the right time for these people to save their farm. And it was kind of a, a girl and her horse story with, with Penny Chenery. And uh, part of that book is about the, the, the negotiation and the putting out the breeding, putting the breeding syndicate together and how it had never been done before. And they sold shares in this horse. And that's why there was so much pressure on the Derby that they were trying to sell shares in this horse to breed him. And uh, that's the, there's so much pressure for him to win the Triple Crown because people had spent money like he'd already won it. And so it is a huge part of sport, huge, huge, huge aspect of the business. And, and uh, you know, if you're telling me you want an, a colt that's, uh, whose daddy was AP Indy, or a colt whose daddy was, uh, um, you know, Joe Blow. Um, uh, that was a that, that was a that was a that <laughs> was a you know that wasn't a, that wasn't a stakes horse. You know, you take your chances and pay the money and and buy the horse with the with the breeding background because that's that's about all you can go by when when you're trying to find a baby and it's certainly no guarantee. Will you, uh, for all the horse you've watched, have you been to any of the major, uh, any of the legs of the Triple Crown? Never seen a Triple Crown. I, uh, I saw the, uh, the Arlington-Washington Futurity, which is a big horse race in Chicago with my dad once. A horse named Honest Pleasure won it, and Honest Pleasure ran in those races, so it was pretty cool to see, see Honest Pleasure. I've never, I've never seen uh, a derby. My brother said we have to go. That was a year ago. We were going to go this year, but I... You know, we couldn't. Um, a lot of times, it's funny because I was—I'd cover the Jazz. I think I've seen the watch the Kentucky Derby in more states than <laughs> anybody else because the Jazz would usually be in the playoffs. Um, funny story in in '94, <clears throat> Jazz uh, won their series. They're supposed to play Seattle, who's playing Denver, the eighth seed. Denver pushes them to. It was a five-game series at the time. I go to Seattle because the Jazz are going to follow me up there, and the series is going to start. Well, Denver wins. Dan Issel's the coach, went to Kentucky, big horse guy. We, we walk back after this monumental upset. It's Matumbo laying on the free throw line, hugging the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we walk back there, and Dan knew that I liked horse racing, and a couple guys from Denver that I know, reporters liked horse racing. And, like, as we walk up to him, he said, who won the Derby? <laughs> so off to, that's kind of off the storyline here, but, but it reminded me of uh, of – breeders and Dan got into breeding and 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 didn't didn't do very well unfortunately but he was a great horse guy would always talk horse racing I saw him up at Wyoming Downs one day the Nuggets were here and uh, and had the day off and he was he went up there and I told him afterwards I said you should have talked to me because I know those people and and uh, you know they, they would have been thrilled to have have you up there it would have been great PR for them but great great group of people like I said that you you meet doing this stuff we uh, went to, uh, I think it was last June, we were up in Napa uh, going to, a, yet again, another wedding. But, you know, when you, <laughs> when you get over 38 years of age, you're always going to weddings. It seems like every other weekend during mm -hmm. the summers. But 
we're up in Napa, kind of palling around, and uh, we're checking out some wineries and you know stuff, shops and stuff like that. It has this Mediterranean feel, and it's it's uh, kind of like it's uh, to describe it. It just it seems like otherworldly that people get to live such extravagant lives and you know and have wealth and privilege and stuff like that. And presumably, when it comes to the horse racing, there's a little bit of that as well, where it's just another element of this kind of agrarian lifestyle that you know poets would talk about in Yorn. I mean. To, I, I keep going back to, you know, to this whole thing about maybe why it's not a more popular sport. You know, does it take a Serena and Venus Williams to kind of compel people to get into it? Or is it just such a niche market that the people who like racing just like racing? It's, an, it's a niche market. I think the people that, you know, in the 40s and 50s and newspapers and even the 60s and 70s, newspapers had people assigned to that beat. They were covered by like a, a mainstream sport. We've got the the media has gotten away from that, which you know, understandable. Um, I think that's had something to do with it. the people who were young adults in the in the forties, fifties, and sixties. They're they're not here anymore, but not a lot of them pass that along to their children. I think horse racing is coming back a little bit with the with the explosion of of social media, with the exposure, with a new generation of people looking for things to do. I mean, they've, they've had huge crowds and huge record handles and uh, at these Triple Crown, the first two Triple Crown races. And uh, I think it's coming back. We live in a part of the country, I mean, Utah doesn't have, the lifeblood of horse racing is paramutual betting. We don't have it, we'll never have it. In the 90s, there was a good certified, organized, financed effort to get it. OBT. Yeah. Um, no, li- actual live live oh. racing, oh, paramutual really? racing in Utah. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, it was very close. Our, the Tribune poll did it, and it was like 53 to 47 the Sunday before. And then something happened over the weekend, that, uh, and it was trounced pretty badly, like 60%. And I, I went on the radio at the time, and I said, I believe that the the LDS church probably made it be known that they didn't want this. Yeah. And that that made it, and I said, it'll never, it'll never happen again because that was a good, organized, logical effort at a time when the state could have used a little boost financially. The, uh, the, the education, they probably would have benefited the education um, area. So it, it'll never happen here. It's their life, and it's, that's why it'll always be out at Laurel Brown in front of 50 people. Yeah. They, they have some nice horses that run out here. They have some very nice horses that run in, in Beaver. They have some very nice horses that run at Dixie Downs in, in St. George. But it's all, it's all cheap, and there's no, there are no money. And that's why the racing in Wyoming has become so important, because it's a little bit of money. It gives people with horses in Utah a place to at least go and run their horses and not yeah, have them stand I, in a pasture. And I definitely yeah. agree with you about the gambling aspect of this, like uh, just filling out a March Madness bracket, you know, <laughs> 10 bucks attached to it. It's just, well, we're just talking. You know? right. With horse right. racing specifically, there's nothing to it. And to get back to your point, too, about I, I assume there were reporters that would be covering horse racing. It's like now in this year, there is newspapers that cover mixed martial arts the same way, you know, MMA and UFC in mm-hmm. such a way where it's become part of the popular zeitgeist. So you, gosh darn it, should be covering it in mm-hmm. such a way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're never, I, I don't think they're ever going to have gambling here in Utah. You know, I don't think the state lottery is never going to happen. We're never going to see riverboat casinos. And, you know, with that said, it's take your money to Wyoming. That's, that's, why, that's why the guy got back in business up there. And, and not only, not only uh, Evanston, where they're going to run 16 days this year, starting, what, June 20th, um, I, know the, I know the guys. I know most of those guys who are involved in that. 
The guy is, is operating a nine-race meet in Rock Springs. He's started a, a futurity called the Western States Breeder Futurity. futurity. It's, it's a race for two-year-olds. You start paying money to keep your horse eligible when they're six months old, for example. You pay 50 bucks. And if you get 300 people paying 50 bucks, now, now your pot starts building. Three months later, horse is doing well. He, he looks like he's got some ability. Now you pay a hundred bucks to keep him eligible. And it goes on and on and on until you get, you know, the big futurities, uh, you know, we'll have 120 horses in the trials. Now it's a thousand dollars to start in the trials. And that's how you build these oh, gigantic. Yeah. You, um, Eugene Joyce owns the, the meat in Rock Springs. It's called the Western States Breeders Futurity. I think it was worth $50,000 last year. He's putting $50,000 of his own money in now as a base to start yeah. from. So they're going to take all those sustaining fees. And in a little racetrack, a little fair county fair racetrack in Evanston, Wyoming, you're going to have a seventy dollars or $80,000 horse race uh, in August. And I'll guarantee you, um, I'm guessing 70% of those final 10 finalists will be Utah-bred horses with a Utah, some kind of Utah connection with ownership. They'll certainly be the jockeys that ride in Utah a lot at Laurel Brown, and, yeah. and it'll certainly be the owners and the trainers who train here. Um, it, it, it's, it's too bad you have to take you know, that race and put it a three-and-a-half-hour drive away. But it, it's, it's, a, it's really been a shot in the arm for racing in Utah. The, there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it was, it was a very dark tunnel for a long time. With the uh, people, just one last thing. We're not wrapping up. We're moving on for to say, but with these uh, horses, you're talking about like a shot in the arm and stuff like this. So, how many stables are here in Salt Lake City or the Wasatch Valley along the Wasatch Front? Uh, I mean, or is it mostly centered down, like what you're saying, uh, down by D uh, Dixie, down in St. George? Or a lot of trainers are, ba you know, they use it as a training facility. There's one in Hurricane. There's one in St. George. Beaver has a has a really good meet in in. Uh, uh, the summer they they run some horses that are are good and have gone to other race tracks and won. Um, uh, Laurel Brown has a has a quarter horse meet in the spring, uh, maybe eight or ten days. Um, it's not as big as what Panguitch. I think they have a little race track. These little fair meets, uh, uh, you know. And we talk about gambling, and I don't know. I've never I've never been to one, but my guess is the guys get together and say the five guys who have a horse in a race get together and say, okay, well. I'm, let's put, bet $100 on each of our horse and the winner take all. That's, that's, that probably goes on. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not as widespread as it used to be, but the, um, it, it is a good site to train young horses, see if they have anything. Now you go make your money somewhere else. So who do you got in the – I'm going to move this to Kevin real fast. Uh, who do you got in the <coughs> Derby? The Derby. Pardon me. Belmont? Pardon me, but the Belmont. Belmont. You're such an amateur. I <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys have done terrific. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go with American Pharaoh. I, it, because I, I'm not a big time race fan, mm -hmm. but like Steve was saying earlier, it, it brings in the casual fan. If American Pharaoh wasn't going for the Triple Crown, let's be honest, we wouldn't be talking about horse racing right now. We absolutely wouldn't. And well, this, well, Nate Carlisle wanted to talk about it, but he. Had, <laughs> right. Nate likes the races. Nate likes the races. Uh, but you know that. There's that interest. It's kind of like what we talked about with when Pacquiao fought Mayweather, is that that brought in the casual fans. I think it's the same thing. So I'd love to see it. it it's since 1978. That's we're due. I, although, I, like you were saying though, Steve, it's kind of one of the like you were you were breaking down the race. It, it isn't like 
And now maybe American Pharaoh goes out and, and pulls a secretariat type thing, and you're like, wow, this horse is amazing. It could happen. But it absolutely could. But not, not 31 lengths. But not 31 right. lengths. Right. But wire to wire winning easily. Right, right. Well, I know, but the other part about it too, I mean, you're, you're, old, you're old sports guy on this one. Like, Cubs are, uh, no one's do anything. You know, we're not doing anything. <laughs> oh, the Raider fans don't deserve anything. You know, it's like, we'll see when we do. I think the, the parallel between the Pacquiao and the Mayweather fight is that. That thing was hyped up to no to almost astronomical levels. Where with the Triple Crown, it's just like with our casual fandom, it's like, eh, come Saturday, maybe I want to see if this is going to happen. And the yeah. time commitment is what right three and a half minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not even. If yeah. you watch, the, and I mean, yeah. if you watch the entire parade of them going in there, you're like your your pot committed for thirty minutes. Right, right. You know, it's 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 kind of, it becomes appointment TV for sports fans. Yeah. Yeah, because you want to see. It's been it's been so long since it's happened. You want to you want to see if it it'll happen again. I uh, I wrote. I'm sorry for interrupting. No. Um, I wrote a little something last Sunday, think, saying, I just don't think American Pharaoh is going to win. I, I think he could win, but I, I, as I talked about earlier, his he doesn't look to me like the kind of horse that is going to love a mile and a half. Now, does that make a difference? Is he four lengths in front with a quarter of a mile to go, and 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 nobody else can catch him? That's a possibility. But but I certainly wouldn't bet him at three to five. I, I just think there, there's a, there's, the race sets up. There are two horses that will want the lead or being close to the lead, American Ferio and Materiality. Um, there's four, there's three horses that will want to sit in a stalking position, including Frosted. Uh, great names. I, 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 <laughs> I can't get over how great and then there's And then there's three that want to come from far behind. And if there's any change in that as they're running down the backstretch, then – no pun intended all all bets are off because if somebody with one of these horses it looks like he's he wants to come from far behind guns it and goes out and says well american pharaoh i'm gonna i'm gonna go after you and we're gonna see who has the best horse if if there's any like that if there's three or four after the early lead then then it's hard to say but on paper it looks like those two horses are in front down the back stretch you got some stalking horses that are sitting there waiting for their opportunity they'll come to the front runners at some point that's what makes the belmont so hard normally they come to them as they're going into the turn or into the far turn you get to the top of the turn at belmont you still have a half a mile to go yeah. it's such a wide sweeping race that's what makes it different jockeys have to time things differently you get you get to the top of the stretch and it's the quarter pole when most horses most racetracks have you know a few hundred yards to go so um I don't. I don't like the horses coming from behind. They they put in a kick at a mile and a quarter, but usually mile and a half is maybe a little too far for them. I like those horses that are in stalking positions, and I I think Frosted has a heck of a chance to win the Belmont. Yeah, it's pretty Fontaine, you know, except with Munich. You know, it's like he just he laid it all out there yep. in the last. What, I, th- I think he finished fourth in the race. Yep. You know, just because he had nothing in the tank for the mm-hmm. last. 300 meters of that race. And that's why smart. That's what hurt Smarty Jones when Smarty Jones went for the triple crown. A couple horses went after him in the back stretch, and the guy kept him, Stuart Elliott, kind of an inexperienced jockey, kept him out there, kept him in front, wanted to keep him in front, used his horse a little too much, and, and boom, he put those horses away. They fell back, but he's got a, and he's got a four-length lead in the top of the stretch, but here comes Birdstone, who's been sitting back there watching this watching this speed duel, and he comes and he wins right at the end. And and uh, I'm interested to see on the telecast of the Belmont if Jerry Bailey is is – asked about that because he rode one of those horses that went up challenged smarty jones early and 
probably cost him, and it's probably probably not Jerry Bailey's. What he wants to go down in history as is is, is costing Smarty Jones the race, but. Um, just interesting stuff, all, all, all within the race, and because it's a mile and a half, because it's on the surface at Belmont, that's what makes it hard. Can we put your feet to the fire that you'll make a prediction on Twitter before the uh, it starts? You sure. Said frosted. You said sure. frosted, right? I, I, th- I think if I was going to, I will say this is how I would bet the race, and I'd bet frosted, and probably American Pharaoh second, and uh, then I think I have to, materiality is a nice horse. I don't think he's going to get by American Pharaoh, but I think he's going to push him. I think maybe he holds on uh, for third. Then one of those uh, one of those horses that come from way behind, uh, Keen Ice, um, don't like Taylor Verve. His his Preakness was strictly a mud race, and and uh, so maybe maybe a Hort long shot like Keen Ice runs a little bit at the end. But but I really like Frosted in the Derby, and he didn't get a, he didn't get the greatest trip, and he only got beat by three lengths, and he was closing on. American Pharaoh a little bit another at the end. Of a mile that could do another that. quarter of a mile if they run the same race. And I think Frosted lays a little closer to him this time than he did in the in the Derby, and there'll be far less traffic, eight horses instead of eighteen. Uh, so when going into the race, what is if you're watching it, what is what's a good sign for American Pharaoh, and what is the, that sign of this? He doesn't have a chance. Kind of yeah. going in, what what's kind of that? Good, it's, a, it's a good question. What I would watch, I'm watching it on TV trying to decide who to bet $5 on. Watched a couple of the races earlier, and if horses on dirt are getting to the lead and on the rail, and it seems to be like the rail is a, a quick place to be, maybe it's padded down a little bit, maybe just some Belmont Park, more, maybe as much as any racetrack in the country, plays to daily conditions of the track. And if speed is holding up, at, at Belmont on Saturday, that's going to be a good sign for American Pharaoh because I think he's going to be out there toward the lead. If the if the rail is a little bit softer, first of all, um, Espinosa, the jockey, is going to try to keep him off the rail a little bit. But materiality, if he's pushing the issue from the he drew outside of him, so so he can kind of crowd him down in into yeah. the rail. Watch watch how the racetrack is playing. If speed is holding up good sign for American Pharaoh. If speed isn't holding up and, and down along the inside is not the place you want to be, it's, a, it's a, a, a chance, at least, for another horse to come around him and win. So let's say you're a jockey in the race. All right, You're on one of the seven other horses. Are you going to – would you try to pull the Jerry Bailey and keep, keep American Pharaoh from winning it, or would you like to see that for the sport? How, you, uh, you, Steve Loom, as jockey. I'd want the ten percent of the million five purse if I was a <laughs> jockey, and I wouldn't try to beat anybody, but I'd try to do what I thought was the best chance for for me to win. Yeah, there aren't that many <clears throat> races where you can ride for two minutes and walk away with um, seventy thousand dollars in your pocket. Yeah, and so you try to win, and you, I don't think you purposely go out to beat anybody, um, but you also you also know who the horse to beat is. Yeah. And that's, you know, if three guys go into the race thinking, I've got to beat American Pharaoh, well, guess what? You got a little target on your back. Yeah. Not collusion or, or anything like right. that, but you got three guys trying to win the race, and their best way is to, is to chase American Pharaoh and put pressure on him. Then, then that's what's going to happen. Well, it, it, there's something, it, I, there's very little that I found interesting about covering cross country running. But the one thing was when when you talk to like the 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 best runners in in a state, 
I always found it interesting. Like, did, did you try to lead the whole way? Did you try to sit back a little bit? And, you know, kind of what, what you're talking about with the horses. Of, you know, is someone going to just sprint out there and then you just wait for him to tire and, and don't worry about trying to keep up. They're going to come back to the pack. And, and horse racing is kind of the same way. You, you got you to know your strengths. But, you know, that whole sitting back a little bit, you know, you can get caught. You can get caught against a rail. You can get caught in traffic and not be able to get through. You could try going outside and you end up going so far wide that you can't come back in. That that whole strategy and knowing, and then the the added distance. You know, the the Belmont being the long the longest of the races, and how's your horse going to react to that? I mean, so much of that goes into it that it really is. It it's so hard, you know, to say, oh well, all right, yeah, American Pharaoh because we want to see a triple crown winner. But really, I mean, there's so much that goes into it that you don't have control over. You know, you were saying that the course that that track changes constantly depending on the day. Mm-hmm. There's so much of it you have no control over. Well, two things. Uh, there's an old expression at the race, right? Pace makes the race. Yeah. They go fast early. The horses have come from behind. If they go slow early, which they did in the Derby, was not slow early, but it was not blistering, which right. helped American Pharaoh come from off the pace a little bit. Um, um, a Derby that comes to mind is Orb. Orb is like 16th or 17th going down the backstretch, but they ran so fast early that that the front runners and the finishers basically switch places yeah. in the stretch. <laughs> yeah. So pace makes the race, and, and that's always crucial to, to the outcome. You, the best horse may not always win because, because of the pace, and, and there's a school of handicapping, horse handicappers out there that, are, that watch trips, the, the trip the horse. Does he get blocked? Is he, is he making his move on the rail and a horse slides, and does he have to stop? Well, if you watch that, and and I thought I really not not to be a good, good handicapper, but I had an advantage handicapping races at Wyoming Downs a few years ago when I went up there every weekend and watched every race. And I would make notes that that this horse was you know moving on the turn and got you know got shut off. It's it's a lot a lot of it has to do with a trip the horse gets around the track. And and there's a whole school of 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 handicapping that involves. Okay, basically all these horses are the same. Who gets lucky? Yeah. And yeah. and who gets unlucky? And maybe if they get unlucky, maybe you better watch him the next time because maybe he'll be luckier and win. Right. I think that's a case for maybe frosted and materiality. They got a little unlucky in the Derby. American Pharaoh had everything his own way. As we've said before, you draw a line through the Preakness because of the because of the track conditions. Handicapping purposes, you go back to the Derby. American Pharaoh had a pretty darn good trip and a couple of the horses that are chasing him. Uh, Saturday in the Belmont did not have the greatest trip. Well, for for the 52 podcasts we've done, this is the only one I wish we had a video feed because you were animated. <laughs> You've held the reins out for almost an hour. So, uh, my wife tells me I talk with my hands <laughs> too much. Too much. Well, uh, just to get Steve's last minute prediction before the uh, the Belmont, uh, you can follow Steve at S Loom L U H M. Right. And of course, uh, he's writing for the Salt Lake Tribune. So check him out on the sports page at all times. Kevin Winter Morris, uh, 52 weeks, pal. Congratulations. Yeah, nice we never thought we'd get a year. No. You know? We didn't think we'd get two months. You know, so yeah. obviously a big thanks to Steve, but to all the guests that have come on to the show, the reporters, and uh, just Spencer Cox. And, you know, since my mom's on Twitter now, that's uh, – Yeah. What do you call my mother? At, there you uh, go. Kathy O.B. Raskin. <laughs> uh, at Mama. 
Oh, wait, you're right. Yeah. You don't. You, you know don't. my mom better than I do. It's true. I do. <laughs> yes. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I enjoyed. I always enjoy talking. Race. My dad taught me a long time ago. You want somebody to talk to? Go to the racetrack. You'll find somebody at the racetrack <laughs> who wants to talk to you. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, uh, before we do that, go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. Got any comments, show them at, at K1, uh, KWinMo or at Penny Raskin. Or heck, throw them to at Steve Bloom. Tell them what you think of his predictions. Have a great <laughs> week and enjoy the Cripple Crown and Triple Crown. For Tribune Sports Radio, this is Ben Raskin. Our weekly podcast is recorded every Tuesday. Subscribe to the show on iTunes at Trib Sports Radio. And while you're there, please rate the show and give us some comments to help improve the podcast. All of our reporters' work can be found at sltrib.com. Please follow us on Twitter at Trib Sports Radio. Tweet us questions and the fellows will be happy to answer them. Or if you feel like writing an email, send it to Tribune Sports Radio, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.